You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 19th of May, 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. Prince Charles is now King Charles III. While the ceremony may be over, a choir of discontent about the role of the monarchy is now finding its voice. The Greens and the Maori Party have made it very clear that they would replace the monarchy as sovereign with a treaty-based constitution. What would that mean for our democracy? Who would hold the ultimate power? Here's Muriel Newman. The coronation of King Charles III was watched by over 400 million people worldwide. Royal fans crowded into London to be part of the celebration, with over 100,000 lining the procession route. The pomp and pageantry of the Westminster Abbey ceremony dates back almost a 1,000 years to William the Conqueror in 1066. King Charles III is the 40th sovereign to be crowned there. The coronation chair used by the new king was built for King Edward I in 1297, and the golden coach carrying the newly crowned king and queen was built in 1762. Weighing four tonne, the team of eight Windsor Greys that pulled the carriage were amongst 200 horses taking part in the event. It was pomp and ceremony on a grand scale. Security surrounding the coronation, known as Operation Golden Orb, involved 29,000 security officials and police. Some 6,000 military personnel were involved in the parade, and over 2,200 invited guests, including world leaders and other dignitaries from more than 200 countries, attended the service. Newstalk ZB's Mike Hosking was New Zealand's only media representative present in the Abbey. He wrote, quote, It's one of those moments you think, how long would you walk for? How long would you wait for? How much security can you endure? How many crowds do you want to battle? The answer is all of it and more. I love the royals, so I'm a paid-up member. But even the most hardened Republican would have had trouble in the Abbey not seeing the overwhelming history power, influence and consistency of the monarchy, two hours that live forever, end quote. As expected, the coronation reignited the ongoing debate over whether New Zealand should remain a constitutional monarchy or become a republic. This week's NZCPR guest commentator is former judge and law lecturer Anthony Willey. He outlines the options, quote, Stability is important in our lives, and there can be no doubt that currently the most stable nations on earth are Great Britain, Norway, Sweden, 
Denmark, Holland, Spain, Japan, Australia, Canada and New Zealand. All are constitutional monarchies of considerable heritage and in none of those countries is there any serious suggestion that they become republics. Then there is the pomp and circumstance which attend much of the monarch's duties, nowhere better on display than at the lying in state and the funeral of the late Queen and the coronation of King Charles III. In the case of the late Queen, it afforded an opportunity for ordinary members of the public to put aside their own cares and rejoice in a life of utter devotion to their service similarly with the coronation of King Charles. It is too simplistic to dismiss this spectacle and the comfort it affords to ordinary people as pointless grandstanding by an institution which has outlived its usefulness. It's not, and it has not. People crave continuity and certainty in their lives and in their institutions. End quote. The coronation was commemorated in our Parliament at 2pm last Tuesday the 9th of May when the Prime Minister moved the following motion quote, that this House congratulate His Majesty the King on the occasion of his coronation. End quote. In his address, Chris Hipkins explained quote, King Charles automatically became the King of New Zealand on the 8th of September last year following the death of the late Queen. The coronation was a celebration of his ascension to the throne, not just of the United Kingdom, but as head of state of 15 nations around the world, including our own. End quote. The Prime Minister reminded us that King Charles has visited New Zealand 10 times. He's expressed a strong personal commitment to our country, and during his coronation took a public oath of service and duty. Our Prime Minister said, quote, While not everyone in our nation, or even in this House, shares similar views about the role of the monarchy in a modern society, I'm sure that everyone will join me in congratulating His Majesty on this significant milestone. I wish King Charles well in his role, and I send the warmest wishes and congratulations to His Majesty and the Queen for the lives of service that they have committed to on behalf of all New Zealanders. End quote. Nationals leader Christopher Luxon noted that while the coronation symbolised King Charles' role as head of the Church of England, his lifelong dedication to public duty was the key. Quote, I agree with the sentiments of Prince Charles, who said, For all that celebrations are magnificent, at the heart of the pageantry is a simple message, service. Almost all of King Charles' life has been about service. First, as Britain's longest-serving Prince of Wales, giving support and strength to his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II. At 16, he undertook his first official royal duty, and he hasn't stopped serving since. End quote. Only two other members of Parliament spoke in the debate. The ACT Party's Nicole McGee shared some little-known facts about the King, including that he likes eggs and is a fan of Emmerdale Farm, before concluding with, 
Long Live the King. In his one-sentence contribution, the Green Party's co-leader, James Shaw, said, quote, On behalf of the Green Party of Aotearoa New Zealand, I would like to extend Charles, Camilla and their respective families all the very best. End quote. According to the Hansard record, the motion that this House congratulates His Majesty the King on the occasion of his coronation was agreed, supported by Labour with 62 votes, National with 34 and Act with 10. There were 10 abstentions, the Green Party with 9 and Elizabeth Kerikeri, and 3 votes opposed, the Maori Party with 2 votes and Mecca Whaiteri. In failing to support a motion congratulating New Zealand's new Head of State, the Greens, the Maori Party and the two independent MPs displayed not only a meanness of spirit towards the new King on his special occasion, but hypocrisy on a grand scale by denigrating the Westminster parliamentary system while revelling in its privileges as members of Parliament. Clearly, the Maori Party's hatred of the British monarchy runs deep. A petition to remove the monarch features on their party website. The Maori Party, quote, is calling for the House of Representatives to remove the British royal family as head of state and create a Titiriti-centric Aotearoa through constitutional transformation, end quote. In bygone times, such displays of disloyalty to the head of state would be considered a crime. Nowadays, it seems fashionable. None of this would be very relevant if it were not for the fact that the Maori Party may well hold the balance of power after the next election. So let's examine what else they're promoting on their website. They want to entrench the Maori seats. They want to force all Māori to register on the Māori electoral roll. The effect would be to double the number of Māori seats. And they want to establish a separate Māori parliament. They would reopen the treaty settlement process and expand the claims to include private land. And they would transfer the conservation estate to Māori. Waitangi tribunal recommendations would become binding on the government which would give the tribunal higher authority than Parliament. And they would introduce a new constitution based on the Treaty of Waitangi. Their ambition to control the country and gain access to unlimited wealth and privilege is a significant threat to New Zealand's future. David Round, a constitutional law expert, explains the danger. Quote, the Maori Party's avowed aim is to put the principles of the treaty into our constitution. Thereafter, the special status and privilege of those of Maori descent will be guaranteed forever. It would be impossible to undo such an arrangement, for any attempt by Parliament or anyone else to do so would thereafter be unconstitutional. If the treaty gets into our constitution, if there is any mention of it which an unscrupulous judge can use, then the majority of the people of New Zealand will become second-class citizens in their own country. This must not happen. If it does happen, 
than our increasingly unhappy, impoverished and divided country will be irrevocably stuffed. End quote. Unfortunately, most New Zealanders are unaware of the threat that a new written constitution represents. Currently, our unwritten constitution not only guarantees the sovereignty of Parliament, but provides a powerful democratic safeguard. If our government runs amok, we can vote them out at the next election. If New Zealand had a written constitution, however, Parliament would no longer be sovereign. We would be forever beholden to unelected judges who would make the laws and be accountable to no one. Here's David Round again. Quote, The fundamental principle of our constitution is the ancient one we inherited from the common law of England, that Parliament is supreme. That principle is not found in any Act of Parliament. It is simply ancient law. It is also, of course, a principle consistent with democratic government. As things stand at present, then, any parliament could abolish racial privilege and restore the equality of citizens and government for the common good. But if the Maori Party has its way, if we come to be saddled with an overriding written constitution which controlled what parliament may or may not do, and which declared that the principles of the treaty were a higher law which always prevailed, then Parliament would not be supreme in the future. If future Parliaments were to attempt to establish and restore true racial equality, then its laws could be struck down by judges who considered that those laws breached a treaty principle of eternal special status for those of Maori descent. End quote. Recognising the danger to the country posed by the Maori Party's separatist agenda, the National Party leader, Christopher Luxon, has, finally, ruled out working with them after the election. He said, quote, Today I have ruled out National coming to any arrangement with Te Pāti Maori in forming a government after this year's election. National believes New Zealand is one country with one standard of citizenship meaning one person, one vote. Te Pāti Māori has a different view. I'm making it clear to New Zealanders that in 2023, a vote for Te Pāti Māori will be a vote for a Labour-Greens Māori Party coalition of chaos and continuing economic mismanagement. National is deeply committed to improving outcomes for Māori, but it doesn't believe separate systems are the best way to do this. End quote. Christopher Luxon's announcements has put an end to the Maori Party's kingmaker claims. As expected, the response from the Maori Party president, John Tamahiri, was belligerent. He said, quote, What they're trying to do is to scare people into thinking that if the Horries get anywhere near the power, we've got problems, and that's just so untrue, and it licenses people just to keep attacking us, as they do. I guarantee you, on October 15th, if the Maori Party holds the balance of power, Mr Luxon will be calling. End quote. John Tamahiri wants the Maori Party to have a permanent power base in government. He said, quote, It doesn't matter if there is a left government or a right government. They'll have to do business with us. 
so you become a permanent party in government, end quote. The naked ambition of the Maori party is even too much for Prime Minister Hipkins. He warned, quote, smaller parties need to be careful with whatever they issue in terms of bottom lines, or they could find themselves simply not able to be part of any governing arrangement at all, end quote. Like shifting sands, New Zealand's political parties are readying themselves for the most important election of our time. On the one hand, opposition parties are focused on removing race-based laws and growing the economy, while on the other, the coalition of chaos, Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party looks likely to double down on hipuapua and tribal rule while continuing their reckless tax and spend. October 14 will be a pivotal moment in our history. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media. 